Hey, welcome back, Fungo Banner fans, to another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner podcast. I am Eric Sorensen here, about to be joined by Kelly and Jason any minute now for another episode on the books. This podcast, as you all know, powered by Devo Bats. I'm so pumped. I put my order in this week for Staff Fungos. Guys, they are going to look awesome. Great products, great people, family company. Get online at checkout of your order. Fungo Banner 10 for 10% off any fungos or wooden bats that your players may need. And a special thanks to Safeguard out of the Tri-Cities. The hats, the shirts, the hitting jacket, and a big congratulations to Taylor Booster. He's, he's, a, he's the winner of the coach's jacket, t-shirt, and hat. We'll be sending that out to you soon. We'll make sure Coach Gal gets that to you. So congratulations. Guys, today's episode, Tommy Richards. He was the assistant coach at Whitman University. Now he's heading to Eugene, Oregon to start up the program there at Bushnell University. Pretty excited that he was able to take time. I know he's got a lot going on, and we really appreciate him taking time out of his evening and his planning to, to step on with the Fungo Banner and, and uh, grow the family one more person at a time. So, guys, without further ado, that's enough for me. Let's go ahead and bring on Coach. All right, Banner fans are back with our guest for the week. Super excited to have him on. Tommy Richards, the head coach at Bushnell University. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I'm juiced. This is uh, this is going to be awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're thank you for taking time to come on with us. And right away, the hard-hitting question. What's your favorite fungo? Oh, yeah, dude, SSK. Yeah. What's your guys' favorite fungo? Well, we're sponsored by Devo oh, Bats, boy. and they're the best fungo in the business. Yeah. Okay, hey, restart. Restart. <laughs> Uh, but before I was on, uh, oh, we'll keep we'll keep rolling with this because before I was the the Devo bat guy, I was an SSK guy, and so I gotcha. know what you're okay. coming from. Now that's what I was hitting the other day because it was cold out and I didn't want to break my Devo one, so I was I was rolling yeah. with that. Well, DK gave me a uh, Devo and uh, I haven't used it yet, but I'm it's on deck. I'm ready to let it nice. rip. So, yeah. Nice. Well, coach, talk us through what you're starting to coaching. You know the, the story of what gets us to where we are today. And talk about some of the major influences that have helped you along the way to becoming the head coach and starting up the program there at Bushnell. Yeah, I think uh, just going through the interview process, like I've really been telling anybody that'll listen, um, like just, you know, my purpose as a coach, like my why uh, really is, um, it goes back to like how lucky I've been to play for some really awesome coaches. And I just think about, you know, like how impacted in my life like I've been from these people and just the feeling of motivation and growth and challenge. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, just the role that these people played in my life, like really uh, through them, like made me want to be a coach because of all the work that they did for me. And so, um, yeah, I mean, some of my main influences, like I go back to this guy, Chuck Clare, um, he was our pitching coach at Bend High my sophomore year. I didn't even pitch that much, but he was just a, a guy that really made a huge impact on me, like at a time in my life uh, when I needed it the most, you know, like 15, 16 years old, kind of a formative time. Um, I think high school baseball coaches, man, like that's that's a calling, and you can make a huge impact on, on kids, and it goes a long way. But um, I think, you know, just in my time with Chuck – uh, 
like he really taught me or what I learned from him um, was like how to capture the heart underneath the jersey. You know, like that's one thing I, I took from Chuck that I hope to emulate as a coach is like coaching in that dimension that's um, it's not the physical dimension. It's not even the like mentality dimension, but it's like the it's almost like the spiritual dimension. Like he coached like our hearts, which always resonated with me. And I almost get emotional talking about Chuck Clare. I just think he's a fantastic human being. Um, and I have a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of guys, man, a lot of mentors and, and people that I've played for that I've learned so much from and just things that I try to take from them. Uh, thinking about, you know, my time at Washington State, like uh, playing for Don Marbit. Um, and what I learned from Donnie was like how to challenge your players. Like he was really a high challenge guy. Like that was kind of a big part of like the fabric that made him who he is. Uh, and then you kind of balance that out with like previously working for Brian Kitamura, um, who's like really high support. So you kind of have like both ends of the spectrum there where like Donnie Marbet is high challenge and Brian Kitamura is high support. I mean, obviously like Donnie could support us and Brian, you know, knows how to challenge his team too. But uh, I just think that like um, you, those were their strengths, right? And so I had a chance to kind of witness them um, and, and what it means kind of, uh, you know, to challenge your team and to support your team. And then thinking about Brian, you know, I think that's like the biggest thing that I tell people about my time at Whitman was just watching Brian and like how selfless he was. It was like crazy, dude, you know, because at a small school, like there's no, like you're not, you're wearing all the hats, you know? And so like, if somebody was struggling, in the classroom, like Brian's there to help them out or like Brian's pointing them to whoever they need to, to see, um, you know, team meals like this and that, you name it. Like Brian was really high support. Um, I think uh, Spencer Allen is like one of my biggest mentors now. I think Spencer is like, kind of like the perfect blend of everything, challenge, support. He's a lifelong learner. Um, I think that's the most inspirational thing about Coach Allen is like he's never stagnant. It feels like he's always trying to pick up new things. I mean, you know, and this podcast is like a great example of people just trying to share the things that they've learned along the way. Um, but, you know, Spencer Allen, man, he's really cares about his players and uh, he's got a really good feel. And if anybody's ever seen him coach third base, like, he has really good actions as a third base coach. It was almost, it's almost like he was born to coach third base. So I always love just watching, uh, watching that. Um, you know, Swintz, uh, I think the thing that I learned from Greg Swinson was just, you know, like the middle game, like he, he really dialed that in and, and taught us a lot and, and, uh, always appreciated like his perspective, uh, in baseball, really came from the mental side and that helped us grow and, and certainly lessons to take from that. Um, I know I'm saying a lot of names, dude, but I have to, like these guys impacted me so much. Colin Griffin, who's the head coach at Jesuit, I think is a guy uh, that has fostered a culture of um, feedback. I mean, I go out to his practices, dude, and these guys are giving each other constant feedback, criticism, which is good, you know, but like on the development side, like 
there's he's not letting anything slide like he's really diligent and created a culture of feedback which is huge uh hope to emulate that and also like collective responsibility like every there's ownership like his kids at jesuit they feel ownership over the program so always marvel at what griff does um i don't know if you guys know scott anderson but he is a coach uh he used to coach the bend elks when i played in bend and he's a family friend uh, we called him the, the big donkey uh but uh the thing about scott was really bad add like he he has a you know add he's all over the place but what you learn from scott is like if you just care about the players and you put like them first everything else is going to follow you know like he might not uh when he texts you like it's hard to understand sometimes or uh his conversations can go a lot of different directions but what you learn or what you understand about from him is like he cares about you and then everything else falls into line so those are some of the influences on me uh guys that i played for or worked alongside uh, logan johnson gave me my first coaching opportunity in uh belleville illinois i think the thing about logan was uh, he was bold like he would say anything to anybody to protect his program and always respected that about him. Um, so no, man, I just been really lucky to like work alongside and play for like really good coaches. And my purpose is just to kind of pass on the lessons that I've learned from them and hope to really just hope to make, you know, the same impact that they've made on me, like with, uh, with the kids that I have a chance to coach. Yeah. Coach, I, I was thinking about as you're talking about these coaches that have influenced you in a positive way. I think that in life, you know, as we look back, so it's, it's that time thing, right? It's reflection, and you see the little things that have made you into becoming the individual and the coach into your program. And uh, you know, I think that's ideal of life, right? We we feed in and we try to have that betterment of the next person around us, and we take traits from certain people to apply into our own lives to try to emanate onto the field of, you know, either excitement or that care or, you know, that guy is going to push his players. And I think that's so important, you know, as for a coach to develop themselves is, is to see those things in others and to be able to say, you know what, that's a really good trait. I want to use that <laughs> into my style. So it's a, it's a, it's a really good thing to hear. So, Coach, I want to ask you, you know, you're the, in your first year. I mean, this is the first time Bushnell has got a baseball program going. You got, it sounds like you got a lot of cool things kind of talking off air a little bit there. Um, it's, you know, what, what has life been like for you? I mean, it's just kind of a big thing um, coming in, you know. So, you know, what have you really wrapped your head around the idea that you are the first, uh, you know, uh, baseball coach at Bushnell University and and what has your first few days been like yeah it's been it's been really exciting it's been um overwhelming I think too a little bit and I'm learning a lot about uh things that you guys have probably you know already learned and, and experienced <laughs> just you know I, I well I guess the big thing is like it's really exciting and, and I really do think like the wind is at our backs which is a, a great place to be like uh, the facility is going to be really nice and there's a ton of alignment here and, and we're investing a lot of money into the baseball team. And, and I feel like 
personally, it's a fit at this institution. And so just a lot of things to really be excited about. Um, a chance like coming from a Division three school, you know, NAIA over here, we have athletic scholarships. It's like, dude, this is awesome. Like just a ton of, a ton of fun and like the ability to do things that uh, maybe couldn't, couldn't do before. Right. And so, um, but you know, with that, like being a head coach for the first time, I'm really learning. And I thought I knew this before. Like I thought that this was something that I understood, but like your day just gets blown up. You know, you come in with like a task or like a to-do list and like things that you want to get done. And it's just like, right when you wake up, it's just blown up. Like there's other things kind of coming at you, which are good things and things that like need your attention, but it's just, you know, like less time to focus on maybe the, um, the things that you wanted to achieve. So I think that, um, for me, I, I need to, I need to get better and I need to learn how to handle, um, a day, how to stay organized and just kind of how to like prioritize the day, right? Like to remember, uh, and sorry if you're, I don't know what that was, but, um, just, you know, how to remember or, or how to prioritize that the day is, is something I think that, um, I'll get better at, you know, it's just like, like one example would be, um, you know, if I'm going to prioritize recruiting, you know, uh, and I want to go out and plan a, plan a trip to go see a kid. It's like, okay, that's good. Like I'm prioritizing the people, which is kind of my thought now prioritize the people. And then it's like, well, Hey, I need a radar gun, you know? So how am I going to pay for this radar gun? All right. Well, now I'm starting to think a little bit about budget. Should I put this in the recruiting budget or should I put this like in supplies? I'm thinking about the budget. You know what it also reminds me of? I should start thinking a little bit about fundraising. I need to tie in these fundraising ideas uh, because fundraising is a big deal. Fundraising elevates the program. Hey, speaking about fundraising, you know, how about paying our coaches? You know, because we're going to pay coaches through fundraising. So shouldn't we think a little bit about the payment structure and like, you know, how this is going to go? Hey, speaking of payment structure, you know, maybe there's like these things that we can buy through these vendors, you know, 643 charts, Rapsodo, payment plans, you know, these are all things that are tying in. And then two hours later, I'm back to like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be making an itinerary for this kid. You know what I'm saying? So I just, I, I gotta, and all those things are important, but it's just me <coughs> put those things aside and just focus right here, right now. on like the one thing, um, but uh, so I'm learning that, which has been fun. It's been a learning curve. Um, but I really, dude, I really do feel like the wind is at our back and, and uh, that's a good place to be. It's funny that you're talking about that because I literally had the conversation with Kelly about something, uh, another business that I got going on. And I'm, I was having the same feeling you are. And finally, he's like, dude, make a list and prioritize. Right. And that made my day so much easier. But it's, <laughs> it's smiling and making me laugh. Just hearing the, that, that's got to be such an exciting time. I mean, you get to, in a way, you know, you're, you mean you're getting to make your own team on the on the NCAA game right now. So that I mean, that's just got to be such a fun <laughs> experience. Uh, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but that's what hit me before we came on the call. No, I think it is, and I think that um, one thing that's unique about like this position that I'm in is uh, if this thing fails, it's my fault. Like this thing is set up to be really good. It's not like we're taking over a, a roster and we're gonna have to you know, ship kids out or, or whatever. I mean, this, we're creating this in our vision. Um, so there's nobody else to look to if this thing doesn't go right, which is, uh, 
which is humbling. And I think it's a, a good place to be also. I think you talked about, I mean, how many people that you've had in your support circle and, and those big names, I, I would imagine you've probably spoke on the phone to each and every one of them at least one time between the time when you got the job and now, and, and, and that's the thing. And, and I think I was in the same position where I got thrust into a position and, and I didn't think that it was going to happen when it did. And, and no one's there to really help you. So you just kind of get thrown into the fire and, and just hearing about lists makes me laugh. Cause I got, I have whiteboard list. I have cell phone <laughs> list. I have paper list. Heaven forbid that I lose one or I delete one because then you lost one of your lists. But you know, th there's so many things, but you know, I, I think, I think the thing for you, is just, it's, it's finding that team. Like you want those players, you want those people to touch and reach. Cause that's what this is all about, right. Is helping out players and, and teaching them the life lessons and, and having them graduate, having them succeed, having them fail. So not having players is probably the worst part because you got you got no one to touch, right? You got no one to help out and no one to, to you know to to go through the process. So I, I'm sure once you get through that, it, you had some exciting things talking about people there to help you out and get that roster built. And once that happens, I'm think I'm, I'm assuming things will settle down when when you know you have that that eye on the prize and the people that you're trying to help out and, and have somewhat of a project right now. I mean, you're staring at a blank canvas and. You need at least some some dots to start putting on there. Right. Well, you know, one thing that's interesting just hearing you say that, like, is because it really is all about the kids. You know what I mean? Like, and your relationship with them. What's been really hard for me and every coach, you know, for sure, but like with COVID and everything, right? It did. This all kind of happened at an interesting time for me. You know, can't, season gets canceled in March. We're doing everything virtually in the summertime. At Whitman, we didn't do anything in the fall. You know, so my interaction with like players, it's been a long time. And then I'm thinking about uh, like not coaching a team in the spring, you know, and not being able to like step on the field or like have those conversations with players until September. And that, that has been sobering, man. Like that's been kind of like an intros, like introspective, like look, like that's been really, it's been really hard. Like, you know, sleepless nights kind of thing where you just almost don't feel right. Like it just feels a little bit off. You know what I'm saying? Um, so really, really thirsty for like that interaction and to get back out on the field and find myself like just trying to go to high school practices, like if they'll let me and most won't um, with COVID. But uh, yeah, I mean, just to, just to see the kids moving around again and watching the practice and, and uh, kind of witnessing some of that growth and, and the challenge, you know, I miss that big time. Yeah. And you watch Coach, a player, whether it's in recruiting or, or at practice in recruiting, it's like you start to think about him and, and where he's kind of slots in and yeah. at practice, you think about what this kid could do, like what, what kind of great event he can have the walk-off hit the Homer and those type of things. So yeah, just just not being able to see that player and let your mind kind of matriculate like that's that's got to be a challenge. It it certainly is, man. There's no doubt. I wanted to ask you, how, how do you keep in that mental fire going? You know, you're talking about you know you have the sleepless nights and yeah. you're anxious to get out there. Of course, you've it's been some time since you've had that player to coach contact, and hopefully, <clears throat> ideally, the spring, you know, be able to get out there and see some high school pros. But how are you how are you keeping that mental fire? for yourself that you could share with some of, maybe some of these other coaches are maybe struggling with that a little bit. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. Um, I, I think it just comes back to like your DNA and I guess your competitiveness, you know, and I think for me, like the thing is stepping into a new league and, and uh, you know, Hey, I always want to like motivate our team. Like out of, I, I don't want to be a fear-based leader. Like I don't want to be somebody that, um, you know, Hey, if you don't get this done in, in BP or this swing, like go run a poll. Like I, I don't really want to lead that way. Uh, I want to lead more to like love and passion. You know what I'm saying? But I think for me, like sometimes like for myself, I think that maybe I like motivate myself through fear a little bit more. And so I'm just thinking like I could step into this league in the spring. Our team could step into this league in the spring of 22 and we could get absolutely annihilated. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, you kind of wake up and you're like, I don't want that to happen on my watch. Like I, I just, I wouldn't be able to live with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's like you wake up and uh, not that, not that you're running from something the whole day, like trying not to get eaten alive. Um, but there is just the pride factor to it and knowing, Hey, you're about to go to war here pretty soon. Uh, you better make the days count. Right. So I think, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to think about tomorrow. You don't want to think about yesterday. Uh, you want to focus on the here and now, but as far as like some of my motivation is like, I don't want this thing to suck. Like I want this mm -hmm. thing really good um and just thinking about there's teams in this league that are really good and we want to be able to beat them and that doesn't just happen overnight right so um and then the other thing too is i just think that uh the people that you surround yourself with are huge and i'm unbelievably lucky to have my wife and my kids and, and my, you know my folks like they they, uh, they've done a lot for me and I want to just think about Jessica, like my wife, you know, like you can't be an assistant coach in division three baseball for five years, have two kids and not have just a rock star of a wife. So I want to make good on her patience with me. And, and, uh, those are some of the things I think that, that motivate me. So now that you got the ball rolling, uh, you know, you, you got recruits coming in or you start to work on recruits, um, you know, what's kind of your vision, you know, and, and I don't want to put you on the spot because, you know, you have all these things and people hitting you from a bunch of angles and you're all on your own. But, you know, how do you how do you envision this thing kind of working out? What's your sell to people? What's 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 Bushnell have to offer to student athletes that that maybe other schools don't? Um, what's your cell? Let's give it to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I think about, um, I think about my, my, uh, my childhood and I think about, uh, the Bend Elks. So my, my dad started the Bend Elks and what really happened was like through all of his hard work, um, Bend became like a baseball destination and it really kind of became a place where like Bend would attract like really high level coaches and really like high level players. So this is, I mean, this isn't necessarily like my recruiting cell, but this is just a vision for me. Uh, and I always thought that word fit it perfectly. It was like, it became a destination. I want Bushnell and this ballpark to become a baseball destination. And I really think that it can be like, I just have 
this image of what the field is going to look like with the turf, the indoor facility, the stadium. Uh, it's like surreal. I mean, the, the partnerships in the community, what Bushnell's putting into it, it's like a surreal kind of a thing. And so I think that uh, I used the terminology earlier, but like the wind is at our backs, man. Like we can really make this thing really great. And my hope is to make it a, a baseball destination. I think that, you know, the conversation with recruits is, is, uh, is been an awesome one. I mean, we're just telling our story over here. You know, it's like, Hey, uh, you have an opportunity to get in on this thing at the ground level. Um, if you want to talk about legacy, like this is a great chance to be a founding father of a program and, and, you know, kind of just tell the story about what Bushnell is, uh, why we think it's an awesome university, the return on investment from the education itself, I think, uh, speaks volumes for this place, the location. Um, I grew up in Bend, Oregon, but like, uh, so never really knew much about Eugene, but I'm finding out like, it's a pretty cool place on the map. Like you're close to everything. You can get to the coast in 90 minutes. Uh, I see that. <laughs> I see you, Kelly. <laughs> uh, you're close to the mountains too, and you can do the outdoor thing, but uh, there's just a lot going on. And then, you know, from the baseball side of it, like, um, and I forgot to mention one guy, but Pat Bailey came down here today and he spent like four hours with me. And just out of the goodness of his heart, we were wow. talking about everything under the sun. And so cool. Pat Bailey is a mentor and the thing that we were just driving home today was like the people matter more than anything else. You know what I mean? And the guys that you recruit, like, I don't know how many times he's mentioned this to me today or on the phone the past few weeks. It's like high work ethic, high character team first, or like a selfless person. And so I think the message for recruits is like, you need to fit that mold. And if you don't, it doesn't matter if you're like the best player in the region or whatever. You're just not going to play here. And it's not because we don't think you're a great baseball player, but like the guys that we're bringing in, we have a, we have an idea of like who they need to be and, and what that looks like. So we're doing our due diligence to make sure that all the conversations that we're having, um, you know, we're, we're understanding like the people that we're recruiting and we want to uh, make sure that everybody that comes in here, high character, high work ethic, selfless. If they, you know, if they fit that mold, uh, we're in business kind of a thing. And, and obviously we're baseball coaches, man. We want to win games. We'll look at how capable of a player you are, but yeah, I mean, you, you might be a first round draft pick, but if you're selfish or if you don't work hard, then I don't think there's going to be a spot for you here. And it might be, it might be hard to make that decision um, when the time comes, but I really do want to hold steadfast in that uh, idea. So that's, uh, we're, we're going to put together the right group of people who want to do it the right way and, and kind of go from there. So you kind of answered some of this question already, and I'd hate to ask you already in the first week, what's your, what's your goals right away? Like what's your five years from now? But you know, the analogy that I think we always look at as coaches is that for me, example, at Kittitas, like uh, my time as the head coach at Kittitas, I'm renting this seat and it's my job as the coach now to make it better and carry on things for the next guy. And so that when the program's handed off, it's in a good spot. You're in a situation that you're starting this thing off from the beginning. Whenever your time's done at Bushnell and when that new guy comes in, what do you want the legacy to be of your time there as the head coach? 
man, I'm going to get emotional just hearing about, but I'm just thinking about it, man. Like, um, there's a lot of work that you want to do and there's a lot of goals that I have and I, I want to win the conference, man. I want to, I want to be the team that like dethrones, uh, the NAIA powerhouses that exist in this region and in the nation. That's, that's what I want to do. And I think that we can, um, but really I think that what matters the most to me is like, I'm just thinking about my time at Whitman and the other places that I've been is like, the impact that you can have on kids, dude, is just, it means everything, man. Like, I, I think that, uh, you know, just like hanging up in my office, like having the letters, you know, that some kids will write, like, it just, that's what matters the most, man. I think, I think in order for me to leave my jersey in a better spot than when I found it, it's simply me uh, impacting our players and, and enriching their lives as much as I possibly can. And it's not pretty at times. I mean, there's going to be times where it's a uh, high challenge and um, we're going to be encouraging kids and, and there's days where it's going to be tough. Right. But I think that that's all a part of the, the process and, and some of those lessons that you learn through baseball, you know, transcend the diamond and make you a better, hopefully make you a better person and, and somebody that can, um, you know, have a heart for the community and, and impact other people. Like that's what I care about the most. And I'm not, I'm not dodging your question, man. Like I want to win the national championship and I want to win the conference. We're going to do everything we can to do it. Uh, but you know, the thing that's more important to me is, is, uh, the relationships and molding, I think was Pat Bailey's word, you know, molding men of high character. I don't think you're dodging it one bit because in the in the long scheme of things, isn't that what we're, you know, the the most successful programs? Just in, what we've been doing in this interviews, it's the same same answer that you got right now. I mean, it's the, it's the high character, high moral guys, and those are the guys that you're going to go win championships with because you can trust that they're going to go do something for the guy next to them rather than what they're betterment of themselves. And I think that's just perfect. No, I completely agree. Like. Just think back to like 2019 was a good year for us at Whitman. Um, you know, we had been evolving and then 2019 kind of broke through a little bit. And I'm just thinking about like what made that team really special. And it was really, I mean, it was obviously the players and like who they were as people. Um, but you said like, you know, the team dynamic of like uh, doing things for the guy next to you. When we were in the conference tournament, which was the first conference tournament that we'd ever been in as a program, and I think you guys talked to Brian about that, but, like, there was a time, like, in that tournament where things weren't going our way. Like, we weren't playing great baseball. Like, we were doing okay, but, like, we, we played much cleaner, We you know, throughout the season, like, more competitive at-bats. Like, just execution-wise, like, we had, we had done better things. Um, but you just had the sense that like everybody was pulling in the same direction. And when that's happening, dude, like it doesn't matter if the ball bounces the wrong way or if uh, things are steamrolling on you a little bit. Like there was just a sense that we're in this thing together. We're all pulling in this direction. Like it don't matter what happens. Uh, we're going to find a way to get through this. And it, and that, that came to fruition. Like that was a real thing. Um, so yeah, it's just special. There's just a sense of togetherness that 
that I think we had at Whitman that I want to emulate here. Like, I mean, the team dynamic was awesome. And I, and I know Jason and Kelly have had the same situation with some teams they've had, but like I, some of the most successful and the biggest wins that we've had with our squad wasn't the most talented teams. It was the teams that we were, you know, I think I heard Sheets today on an interview talking about how, like, it was the teams that were singing on the way home on the bus, right? The teams that were just, oh. that were, you can't wait to get to practice that day. And I think there's, that's, I think everybody else can agree with that too. Hey, speaking of singing on the bus, one thing <laughs> is, um, so Whitman, um, we had never, or since Brian had been there, they hadn't beat Linfield in a single game, not one game. And I'm not talking about like just losing a series. They hadn't won a game in like 15 years. Uh, but so finally we, and I, Linfield, tons of respect, dude. Great coaches, love them. Um, they, had been murdering us basically right but finally we win a game against Linfield and this was 2019 and uh this song comes on after the first game on Saturday John Denver for country roads yes and I remember thinking, like dang this is a good feeling dude we just finally beat Linfield for like the first time and country roads is on John John Denver <laughs> you know? That became our win song, dude. And every time we won a game, we would sing Take Me Home, Country Roads. And it was just, I'll never forget that, dude. That was part of the team dynamic. That was part of our culture was Country Roads by John Denver. And every time I hear that now, it's like I almost get emotional just thinking about those memories and how just together we were, man. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> There's always some little stigma, like the special teams, they're always a little bit, a little bit goofy, right? They got something about them. And, and, and especially when you get into the playoff setting, I know Jason's been playoffs and, and Eric's been in the playoffs. And you're talking about this situation. Once you get them to that position, like you just let them run, right? Like these guys have a ball of excitement. <laughs> the last thing they need is more pressure. Like you let any goofy, funny, odd thing that they do, uh, you just let them roll with it. And and then if you get involved with that at least once or a little bit in there, all of a sudden it's just lighting things back up and guys <laughs> get on board. And, like, that's the best thing about college baseball, right? Just how much energy is there. Um, you know, the players, they love it. They, You know, especially your pitching staffs who are involved for, you know, maybe an, an hour a weekend when your weekends are, you know, 10, 20 hours. Like, and, and those guys have to find times to <laughs> occupy their time. So anything that keeps people engaged and having fun and all those things, like it's amazing how, how those things come about on a, on a good team and, and, and the teams that aren't as good, like they're, they're more worried about themselves. They're quiet. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're just not as, as active. So if, if you can get something like that, some type of team culture thing, as long as it's not detrimental or, or <laughs> derogative or anything like that towards another team or your team, you let them run, let them run. And we have a little, uh, I don't know if I've said on this podcast before we have a, uh, we have one of our assistant coaches, he talks about Mo, right. And, and, and Mo is, is having momentum, right. And you want Mo on your side, right. And if, if you lose Mo, you got to get him back. So every Christmas we do a gift exchange and you pick a random name, secret Santa, and that assistant coach got given like this little, I don't know, I knew what it was at one point in time, but it's this little like doll uh, stuffed animal thing. And he put Mo on it and he put <laughs> magnets. 
And so last year we carried that around and we had Mo on the end of the dugout and they would feed him seeds or Gatorade or whatever <laughs> to try to keep Mo happy. Like it's the weirdest thing, but it kept our guys engaged and they absolutely loved it. So any of those things are, are, are so fun and so cool to be around. Dude, that's college baseball right there. Those are some of the things that like, like that transcends the diamond. You know what I mean? You'll remember that forever. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we're going to roll into the seventh inning stretch here, and we're going to bring in a leadoff hitter to, to kick this thing off. A guy that's going to hit a little gal zone over the second baseman right here, and I think Kelly's <laughs> going to lead us off with the, with the seventh inning stretch right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, usually we pick a topic and, and dive into it a little bit more, and, and I think right now you're, and you've already mentioned it, you're kind of baseball starved, right? You haven't been able to work with your guys in the gutter for a while and, and just really getting after it and, and uh so let's dive into hitting a little bit. Let's talk about maybe some overall philosophies. Um, I know guys have some absolutes or, or some steps or some pieces of hitting. Let's kind of start there. Um, maybe some things that you look for in recruiting hitters or, or the hitters that you have a chance to uh, work with that first day of practice. What are some things you're looking for for what they do well or don't do well? And then maybe some things that you're looking to kind of impress upon them just right away out the shoots. Yeah, no. So I kind of think of this like, um, I don't know, man, like when I read a book, like sometimes and I'm asked questions or whatever, uh, you know, maybe the most recent book or conversation or podcast that I you know, read or listened to, like sometimes that will form my answer and, and kind of shape my answer. So I'm just thinking about like spending this afternoon with um, Coach Bailey and some of the things that he said, like, you know, I, absolutes for me. And it's funny, man. I was, I listened to your guys, uh, or the Twitter, the tweet that you put out with CJ Baker, you know, this morning. And he said, Hey, the two things, like you got to be on time for what you're looking for and you got to swing at the right pitches. Like that's that those, that's literally like verbatim, um, conversations that I have like with, with our guys, you know, I, I don't, I could live in the mechanical dimension. Like I think that I have adequate, you know, adequate um, knowledge of the mechanics of the swing and, and what it takes to sequentially unlock your body parts the most efficiently, whatever. Like I could live in that dimension. I could live in the dimension of, uh, you know, mentality. Like what are you thinking, attitude, you know, this and that. Um, I think really the best hitting coaches, and so this is something that I strive to be like, the best hitting coaches um, give their guys a plan. You know what I'm saying? When you step into the box, like, you know who you are. You know who that guy is. It's like the art of war. If, if uh, Know yourself and know your enemy, and in a thousand battles, you will see no peril. I think that a lot of times, dude, like, kids just don't know who they are, and they and they also don't know how they're going to get attacked, right? Um, so I think that's a, that's a big part of it is making sure when you step into the box as a coach, you've done your job to give – your hitters a plan. I think those are the best hitting coaches. Um, but some absolutes for me, kind of places that I uh, think about a lot and and um, believe are you know big factors in in success of hitting. Uh, for me, the biggest thing is is decision making and pitch recognition. Like I think that's where we spend a lot of time training. Uh, you know, I think that that was maybe that came from a place where like that was what I was really bad at. Like if I would have practiced that more, um, I think my ceiling would have been higher. I would have been a better player. 
Um, and so the pitch recognition thing and training your eyes is, is something that we'll focus on a lot here at Bushnell. Um, really the absolutes, you know, a lot of it comes back to pitch recognition. Like, are you swinging at the right pitches? Well, part of that is pitch recognition. Um, and then are you on time for what you're looking for? Uh, that's a, that's a big one. Um, we talk a lot about rhythm. Uh, we want to make sure that, uh, we're not statues in the box and that we're dancing with the pitcher, so to speak. Um, and just a lot of times, uh, want to make sure that we're getting started sooner and smoother versus late and rushed kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's, a, that's a really roundabout answer. It's not really an organized answer, but it's something that I think about a lot, um, is just, you know, I think early on in my coaching career, like guys would come back to the dugout. And I think part of it was like an ego thing for me. Like guys would come back to the dugout and they say, Hey, what, what did you see right there? And like, why, like, why wasn't I successful in that at bat? I felt like, man, those guys are asking me a question. Like they deserve an answer. Like I should really be able to tell them something like, dude, um, you're like not being directional. Like you're, you're flying open, you know, kind of a thing. And then I really, really realized like I don't believe in that conversation at all like I don't need to be telling you anything mechanically during the game the question is did you swing at the right pitches yes or no were you on time for what you were looking for yes or no if you were on time for what you're looking for and you're swinging at the right pitches then like in practice maybe we can start to um, manipulate your swing a little bit but like right now just figure out how to be on time and swing at better pitches right and a lot of that is starting sooner and, and uh, making sure your eyes aren't moving kind of a thing. Um, so those are some of the things that I think about, man, like decision-making drills. Again, just like my baseball content is really just stolen from like other people. I think that Steve Beeser from Mizzou uh, and Dylan Lawson, I think is his name. They were kind of game changers for me. I kind of geeked out on like some of the work that they were doing with pitch recognition and uh, you know, like uh, pitch occlusion. Jim Horner is another guy who I think is uh, really good at like pitch recognition and, and that side of it. Um, so those are those are some of the guys that I look to uh, on the baseball content pitch recognition side. Coach, I you know for me, I, I mean I, I'm I love hitting. You know, I, it's just the best part of the game, and I think for a hitter, it really starts in the dugout. This is not something we talked about really on our podcast with a lot of coaches, but you know, I, I think there's that transition. You got the dugout, you got the on deck, and then you're in the box. What, what were some of those things that coaches are missing with their players and the prepper uh, in preparing their, their hitters to take that step in the box? You know, you look at, you go to some high school games, you got an on deck circle guy, maybe he's leaning on his bat. He's not working with timing. You know, you got some guys or, putting donuts on their bat, you know, or, or canes and, and swinging or doing the, the three bat swing thing, you know, I mean, what, what were some of those tools that you could share with us to help some of us coaches out there in, in preparing our players for that transition up to the box? Yeah, no, great question. I think that um, some of the things that I think about, uh, we got to have a routine and I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about routine. Like routine is really big. Um, one of the things that I believe in is, and hopefully it can like be me um, in the dugout, like charting pitchers tendencies. Tendency chart like is a big deal to me. 
Um, I think that we can prepare our hitters better. And usually it's like, maybe you're in the hole or, you know, you're the fourth guy up kind of thing, but like, Hey, look, uh, this pitcher, like this is how many fastballs he's thrown in Oh one counts or in, you know, whatever, you know, choose your count kind of a thing, or, Hey, look, like you're this type of hitter and it looks like this is how he's attacking you. Um, so like, here's, here's your plan, you know, like your strength as a hitter is you do a really good job of hammering that, that fastball away. Right. Well, I want you to look, I want you to be committed to it, stick to the approach, stick to the plan, uh, in this count, like be ready to hit this pitch kind of a thing, give a pretty like vague, but concrete, aggressive, like plan, you know, let's get in there and let's legitimately have, uh, something to go off of versus like, Hey, uh, and, and, you know, some guys do really well, just sit in the middle and adjusting. And if that's the kid that you're working with, then give them that kind of thing. But I think that having the information ready for them is huge. The pitcher tendency chart is huge. And I'm just telling you, man, like every pitcher that we saw last year, or I shouldn't say every, but like 90% of pitchers that we saw um, in division three baseball, like they're tipping their pitches. Or, or, or you can find ways to, to like just gain an edge. And so I think communicating those things uh, helps your hitters a lot. And then it's also kind of a culture thing like Kelly's talking about with Mo. You know, it's like, dude, if you have everybody in the dugout like trying to figure out how this guy's tipping his pitches or his tendencies and then you get something, dude, the culture in the dugout, it gets – it's pretty awesome. I mean, you feel like you have the wind at your back and, and – uh, you know, that you can take advantage of a, of a weakness kind of a thing. So, yeah, I just think as a coach, you want to make sure that your hitters have a plan when they get in there. And that tendency chart is a, a really good place to start. Yeah. That's one that we keep, I've kept that in, in my time here. And I, and I took that from Washington when I was at Washington, that's, that was my role is to keep that tendencies and, and to be able to watch pitchers. And, you know, I think for you, as, as you get into it, you'll learn that, probably can't invest that much time in that thing anymore. So it's, it's finding the right guy that can keep it the way that you want it. And that's, that's the biggest challenge. Right. But um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can find if you really bear down an opponent's pitcher. You know, I, I, I think it was last year or the year before there was a pitcher that somewhere in our schedule that would, uh, that would lick his lips yeah. would lick his lips when he was throwing a certain pitch. He'd re- literally stick, stick out his tongue and lip his, <laughs> lick his lips, and that was an off-speed pitch. And we picked up on that, and we took a note and wrote it down and, and hope I still have it in my notes somewhere. Do we get back to that that school, whether it's in conference or <coughs> or, or non-conference, and, and find that again? But there's always something to watch, right? Dugout culture, you, you kind of brought that up there, and, and I don't want to get off the topic of, of hitting too much, but um, – there's always something to watch. And especially if you're a guy that's not in the, in the lineup, right. You can learn from the other guys that are there. You got a senior shortstop and a freshman that's kind of his apprentice, like you're auditioning for that job in the future. So you're going to learn the things that he does really well. You're going to learn from his mistakes, but there's something to watch, right? There's always something to watch uh, apart from just the game as a whole. And if you can create that culture of, of always trying to learn and make yourself better. And I, I think as a coach too, um, and especially as an assistant coach, to be able to walk in the dugout occasionally and have conversations with guys of what they're seeing and, and, and maybe what's good and what's bad, and it just trying to challenge them of what they're thinking 
Um, and it's amazing, like the conversations that you have or, or the things that you'll stir up in those guys to be able to change thought process a little bit that stop being sorry for yourself because you're not in the game, like make yourself a little bit better when you get that opportunity. You're you're more prepared than the guy that's in the shoes right now because you've lived multiple at bats time and time again. Dude, and don't you just love, like, don't you have a spot in your heart for, like, the kid that he is the backup or he's a young guy or whatever, and he's, he comes up to you and he says, hey, coach, like, I think this guy's coming set, like, a little bit lower, you know, when he's when he's throwing an off-speed pitch or whatever. When you hear that, I just think, dude, that kid is engaged. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's <laughs> the game and, and he's invested. Like, I think you're so right. It's just that's that's a big deal and that is a conversation and a coaching piece too you know you have those conversations and and uh try to model that behavior and and then celebrate it when you see it going back to pitch recognition and maybe it was a, as a player or as a coach you know what are some kind of things that you picked up um you kind of along your way what what are kind of some drills or maybe some maybe some skills that you kind of have impressed upon you some things that you've used in the past, things that you plan on using moving forward to kind of teach those processes. Yeah. I mean, in, uh, in this day and age, like I think, um, and drive line, such a think tank, dude. Awesome. Right. They do, they've advanced the game so much. And, you know, one of their paradigms is like uh, constraint based training, you know? So I kind of started to think like, okay, like what constraints could we throw on like pitch recognition or throw on your eyes and, Griff, uh, Colin Griffin at Jesuit brought this to me. We, we went back and forth a little bit, and and uh, he has he tried out these strobe glasses. Have you guys ever seen those? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Synaptic is making them now. Nike used to make them. Now it's Synaptic. Uh, but basically, you just put these goggles on, and like you know, strobes your vision, so you're not uh, you don't have as much information to work with. Basically, like you're only picking up uh, a few images, kind of a thing, and so. Um, that was my, kind of my take on those glasses was like, it's a constraint for your eyes, you know, which kind of trains you to process uh, information um, and make decisions about things with less information, I guess, is m- more of the proper way to say that. So I really actually, I really do like the Synaptic glasses. I think we had a, two pairs at Whitman, probably trying to invest in a few pairs here as well. Uh, there's different things that you can do uh, with those glasses. I don't think you're necessarily like, taking BP with them on, but, um, just different, different drills and different, uh, challenges that you can do. One weird thing, this is kind of outside the scope of the conversation, but like they did a study that when, when, um, when users or participants in the study were wearing them, um, it reduced like ACL injuries, um, like in running, right? So when you're running with these glasses (laughs) on, like it actually had other benefits besides like, you know, what we might think of as like training your vision. It was actually like making these people healthier, which was weird. Um, but Griff is a good reference on that. Um, and then I think like some of the drills that I saw from Dylan Lawson, like um, you have a screen, right? And then you have like the guy that's throwing BP, uh, like stand behind the screen. And then like where the hitter would stand, you have, you set up a T, right? And then, so the guy that's throwing, you know, you have a, piece of tape like along this net right and you say okay if you see a fastball out of the hand and it's below the line like i want you to stay in rhythm and take a swing off of the tee if 
if you see a fastball out of the hand and it's above the line, like that's a pitch that you load um, and then simulate that you're taking a pitch because it's up. Uh, and then conversely, like if you see a slider or a curveball out of the hand and it's below the line, like that's the one that starts down and stays down. Like you check off of that and you're not swinging. And then the, you know, the breaking pitch, and I might have this backwards, but I think you get the gist, like the breaking pitch that's above the line. Um, like you load, you're staying rhythm and you're, and you're swinging, right? So you have to make a decision like a, what pitch type is that B like, what's the location so I can make my swing and you're processing this, um, you know, just as you would like deciding to, to take a swing in a game. So that's a drill that I like, uh, man, there's others. Um, Kelly, I think we did this one at a UPS camp, but you set up a T away and you got front toss going. And if the front toss are like pumped and doesn't, doesn't toss, like the hitters are staying in rhythm and hitting the ball off the tee the other way. Um, but yep. if you toss, uh, you know, you're, you're tracking the ball flight and you're hitting, you know, hitting the, the ball that's tossed to you, like hopefully up the middle kind of a thing. Um, and then there's really cool stuff going on too, like with videos, you know, with pitch occlusion videos where Mm -hmm. uh, they'll show like the 30 feet of the ball flight and then the video cuts off and, and there's apps for it now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the hitter has to say, Hey, yeah, that was a fastball for a strike or a slider for a ball, um, whatever it is. Interestingly, I had this conversation with Donegal Fergus uh, and I'd never talked to him before, dude, I got lucky. I, I talked to him on the phone mm -hmm. and he was saying, I asked him like, if you can invest in one piece of technology, you know, what would it be? And he said, uh, synergy. And he was speaking to it like on the, on the pitch recognition side. So I don't know, that just, that stuff speaks to me. I was really bad at it. Like if you threw me a slider, I was just like an auto out. Um, but I think it, I think it goes a long way and, and, uh, really can help, you know, develop hitters. So I'm kind of glad you started talking about that because it's, it's something that I've been trying to dive into this offseason, thinking about making up for lost at-bats for our guys uh, at yeah. the high school level. And do you see a direct correlation, you know, obviously, and for especially guys in the Northwest or the northern part of the United States, you know, we're inside so much. And then all of a sudden we head down to California for a opening series. I mean, is, are you using that as a tool for at-bats as well? Because that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at the high school level. Like, how can we get – 10 or, you know, four or more bats per day, you know, right. not having an at bat. Yeah. Well, I think, shoot, man, I think that there's no simulation for a real at bat, right. you know, so whatever we can do to have as many of those as possible. But to answer your question, I think that it makes, um, I think that there's ways to uh, challenge ourselves more in batting practice that do more closely, like replicate, you know, what you're doing in the game. Um, versus just a coach getting up there and flipping pitches in at, you know, 50 miles an hour kind of a thing and just grooving it down the middle. Um, so I think, I think uh, the end goal, the point is, is like um, if you're hitting 700 in batting practice, like you're not doing it right. Like we should figure out a way to challenge our hitters more and more. Um, and I think one thing that will make a comeback, this might've been um, a driveline article. I'm not sure, but like a coach getting up there, and cutting the distance down, you know, and like throwing as hard as he can. Um, like, I think that there's value in that. I think that that more closely replicates like real bullets flying at you. You know, maybe the coach is mixing even too. Um, but just kind of like the challenge factor, you know, to get in there and, and um, 
and simulate the real, I guess, would be one way to say it as, as much as possible. Because you're right, like in the Northwest, um, our guys are at a deficit when it comes to, you know, the number of, of at-bats that they can get um, in a in a calendar year. So we got to figure out ways to challenge them, challenge them and, and uh, you know, make batting practice more difficult. Coach, I want to ask a little bit to kind of shift um, from hitting a little bit to um, mentorship. You know, what you talked about is coaches have mentored you significantly. How do you guys implement that with your team? And, you know, you got your, that senior that's a four-year guy, got that incoming freshman. He's new. You know, he's he's green. He's overwhelmed. I mean, you have a new program you're starting, so you, you're starting fresh with young guys. But how are you going to implement that? that uh for your guys coming in yeah man i think my head just goes right to like you know modeling the behavior you know what i'm saying like i think that Mm -hmm. uh, whatever we can do as coaches to like model you know the uh behavior that we want our players to have like i think that's the right way to do it um when i was in college i remember talking and this is a loose memory it's vague but um you know we kind of talked about like the responsibilities that are bestowed upon like different classes, right? It's like freshmen, like you guys are carrying the gear, you know what I mean? Uh, Sophomores, like you guys have to do something. And then basically you work up and when you're a senior, you know, you don't have any of those like little ancillary responsibilities. Um, But I remember the discussion was like flip that on its head, you know, like the, like the freshman guys, the first year guys, um, you're like, learning like your job is to just be supportive but really just learn the intricacies of uh, the system and then like if you're really being a leader like those older guys you know they're the ones that are carrying the bags they're the ones that are doing the so-called you know grunt work or whatever so um, it was funny uni yesterday like he pulled out this picture and I think we've all seen it but basically the, the gist of it was like make it hard to make it hard to spot the general by working like a soldier. And I think that just really stood out to me. Um, you know, I can be a boss or I can be a leader. And I think that I want to try to be a leader um, and just modeling the behavior that uh, I hope to see from the guys on our team. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's where my head would go with that one. Yeah. I got I heard one to the, just this today actually is, is true humility is you is a person who wants to implement that is a person who must go down before you have to go up. Yeah. And I think that's really setting that tone. And once that's tone set, that example, because we all as people want to be different individuals, right? And there's certain things that we like about certain people's personalities that we want to take on and be like that. And so when we implement and, and really focus on building those traits you know, you can really set a good presence in your program and as well as to those around you. So that's good. I think, um, like I, that fires me up, dude, because that's like leadership stuff. And I think that <laughs> what I care about like more than, more than baseball content, like my baseball content is all just hijacked from other people and things that I like, you know, or I, that I think makes sense. But, um, no, I think that's, that's, that's where I hope to exist. That's what I'm passionate about. It's like, learning about stuff like that and hearing about that. I am at like a Christian school, you know, and I, I, to me, just like the, the story in the Bible that resonates with me a ton 
is like the washing of the feet, you know, that's, that's like selfless, dude, that's servant approach. And, um, I don't know. I just think that when you have leaders that are serving, um, you know, I don't even know the right word disciples or whatever, you know, I don't know, but like, yeah, I just hope to, I hope to be somebody like that. Well, coach, that was an awesome interview. Thank you for taking an hour out of your night. I know you're being away from your family and, and, and you got a lot going on right now. So uh, thank you for being a part of the Fungo Banner and bringing another Dynamite episode to our list. No, thank you guys, man. This was uh, kind of a breath of fresh air. I could just focus on a fun conversation. And, and uh, dude, thanks for having me. Absolutely. If anybody wants to reach out, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, um, just call me on the cell phone or shoot me a text. Uh, my number is online, and I try to be good about getting back to everybody in a short amount of time, 24 hours kind of a thing. So I uh, look forward to any baseball conversations that, that I can have. I'm thirsty for baseball conversations, so um, I look forward to that. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Good luck with the process. Enjoy it. I know we're excited to watch you along the way, and and uh, Kelly and Jason and I will be back in the bullpen to wrap this thing up. All right, guys, we're back in the bullpen. We're going to wrap this thing up. Kelly, how about you lead this ending off? Yeah, it was it was uh, awesome to hear from Tommy, someone I've known from the recruiting trail for a while now, and and I think the message I've sent him when when he first got the job is it just how fired up you are when when great people get great opportunities because you hear so much so much about you work hard and you do this and you're going to get this thing and it doesn't always work out that way but when there's people that are, are, are truly great people um, that care about others that care about you and your family and ask you know ask all the right things they're not self serving um, someone like him it's great when, when someone like that gets an opportunity and, and now he's in this, uh, this kind of this brave new world when he gets to do, you know, everything that, that he's kind of dreamed of doing before. And, and I think in time, you know, I, I love to this experience too, is that you, you fall back on your preparation, you fall back on those experiences, those people that have, that have touched you at some point in time um, in your coaching career as, as an assistant or, or even someone that who coached you personally and you take bits and pieces from everything. And we say this to our hitters, right? I mean, the guys that you guys work with, they've taken things from their dad and their hitting coach when they were younger and maybe their select ball coach. And if you can take a little bit of something, and I know Jason talks about it all the time, in all walks of life, if you can learn something, a little bit of something from everyone you have a chance to be a part of and be around, um, you're bettering yourself as a person. And I think you get overwhelmed at times when you're in a position where you have to make, you know, make all the decisions, but you fall back into your preparation. You fall back into those people that you've been around that have done things that you've liked, that have done things that you, you haven't liked. Um, and then maybe done some stuff that you were, you were curious about. And, and so you take all those little things and, and they've prepared you, even though you don't think about it, you get in that moment where you have to make a decision. All of, all of a sudden you fall back on those things. Well, I'm not going to do it this way. This worked out before this might work. Okay. Let's pick this one and, and see how it goes. So I, I think he's in a great spot. He had a he had a really bright light, and and I'm uh, I'm excited for him to get some players around him so we can start building that thing. I think 
Um, it was kind of disappointing last year when you lost, we lost Concordia as a program out of the Northwest. And, and, you know, we've added two over the last couple of years with Eastern Oregon and, and now Bushnell. Um, so you're getting more opportunities for kids to play for, for high schools like your guys is that, you know, there's more opportunities for kids to move on and play at the next level. And it's always a great thing. And when you know that there's great people in charge of those, of those places, you, you know that there's going to be more opportunities for kids to grow and be great leaders and, and, and great, um, you know, men growing forward because there's great people at the helm. So I'm excited for him, excited to stay in touch with him, and hopefully we can play him down the road. Absolutely. And, and I, that was a, uh, that's going to be a fun episode to break apart and dive into. But, you know, one, one thing I like to judge the people that you come across, especially in the coaching fields, would I feel comfortable with that person coaching my kid? Granted, I have two daughters, mm-hmm. so they're probably not playing any college baseball at all. So, but I, that's the kind of guy that I would feel comfortable knowing that I had to send my kids to, out of high, to to leave the nest and go to college and experience things on their own for the first time, and and the type of person that to have your per, your kid be around to make sure they have a successful experience, uh, to leave their college to be a better person. And I think that's a that came through to me on that interview and. and and it, it kind of gave me chills and, and some smiles there for a while, thinking back to the college days of, uh, uh, you know, having, you know, even Kelly's story about having Mo and, and the little things of singing the songs. And when John Denver comes on and, and creating that environment within your team is priceless. And if you can have a team that, you know, gets pumped for their dude that just got something done or the guy that's on the bench trying to find out the tendencies of the next guy. Uh, you can do great things. You can go beat the guys that are winning constantly um, with that kind of thing. And that's just going to build to where you get the talent and then you can get the players that, are, you know, you combine those two and then you, you're deadly. I mean, your program's going to be very hard to beat. So I'm really excited to follow him. I'm really excited to see where Bushnell goes. I, that's got to be hard getting through a spring without having a team. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that uh, it seems like he's excited for the task of getting that thing put together and, and uh, excited to see what happens from Bushnell. Yeah, guys, I uh, have Coach Richards on tonight. It was a joy. And, uh, you know, I th- I was, there's a lot racing through my head, you know, and I think about, you know, Eric, you're talking about your daughters, you know, possibly, you know, their girls, they may, may not play, but you don't know. They could be <laughs> the first, you know, duo college baseball, uh, you know, pitcher-catcher combo, you know, and <laughs> and uh, making their pr- father proud, you know. But, uh, you know, I think about, you know, you talk about reflection, you talk about mentors, and I think about this podcast and, you know, guys, we're, we're basically about a month out from being under a year here with this thing. And, and I think about the list of all our coaches that have been on with us and they have a, every single one of them has one common theme. And I think that really comes down to the element of care. And I think it's a reflection of you guys. I mean, Eric, you look at your program at Kid Attest, what you've been able to do, and every time we play, uh, you're just, you get closer and closer. I and mean, one of these days, you're going to kick our butts. And I know it's going to happen. And Kelly, what you're doing at St. Martin's and and just building that program up and, and making it more, you know, nationally, uh, you know, and I think that it's just a reflection of the individuals and there's a reflection of you guys and what we've been able to do, you know, and I, I just, I think that, you know, in life, we look at emotions as a negative. Sometimes you can look at it as a positive, right? You have people that I remember as a child, you know, you know, when the, 
Seattle Mariners won in, in 1995. It was like the exciting moment. And when, when they lost, <laughs> you know, in the next round of the playoffs, it was like, a, you know, crying baby, you know, I mean, it just lost it all. But I, th- I think that that's a human aspect, a human, um, you know, emotion. And it, I think it's, it's good that we express this and it's okay to have moments you're crying as a coach or a time of laughter and time of joking, you know, and, Guys, I want to share a quick story as we close out. And I think about Coach Richards here, you know, in what Kelly, you're talking about Mo and and the things that you guys do and, the, and getting the excitement. But, you know, I know, Eric, you've done many things that get your team riled up and get part of. But I remember in 2017 when we went over to play Colfax, of course, and, and play Scotty Parrish's team there. And, you know, I knew the, the the that season we just been we were just having a good time and and so I decided my, myself before we went over to, to the West side to go buy one of those, you know, coaches shorts, you know, you guys you know, back in the, <laughs> yeah. you know, of course the early nineties, you know, you had the coaches shorts. So I decided to pull a pair out of those and we did a pregame <laughs> next to Wheeler field. And our guys are so relaxed. I remember coming to the park and of course they didn't know, they had no idea I had them on. I had my jumpers on there and we get it. And everybody's just real tight and real tense and, we warm up and we go to take some BP and I rip those suckers off. And everybody comes up busting and cameras come out and some of the parents <laughs> were there and they were just, it just lightened the mood that got our guys ready to go out and compete, you know, and, you know, we, we had a good de- time that day, and, but those are the things that you look back and you reflect and you just, you hold in your heart to the day you die, you know? And I think that, you know, just to close this out not go too much and I don't want to get too emotional guys, but, I uh, I just think that it's been an honor. It's been a joy being part of with you guys and doing this. And I think there's going to be a point in my life I'm going to look back, and I am so grateful for both of you. So thank you, guys, and thank you to our Banter fans. I'm so exciting to see what more we're, we're going to come. But it was just tonight was really touched me. So anyways, it's good. I appreciate that. You know, this is fun, and I'm going to get the month right because we're in February. We're getting closer here to the season. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I did say the wrong month, and I did edit it out the other day, so listeners don't know what we're talking about. But, uh, yeah, no, this is good stuff, man, and I'm, it's kind of fun to be growing the community and being a part of this and be able to sit back in a front row seat right here, that's for sure. So, And for the listeners, uh, do your part. And when we ask to go on and rate and review, because that helps the the fungo banter show up more on the on the Spotify or or iTunes, and uh, every rate and review we get just helps this thing out and helps grow the Pacific Northwest and spread the word of baseball and and make things, you know, a better for the coaches and the players in our communities. And and thank you to Devo Bats, guys. If you haven't gotten on there and ordered your staff fungos yet, or if your kids need a new wooden bat, uh, get on there. I can't wait. We'll see if my staff's listening to this because I just put my order in last week. And I, they are going to look sweet. I can't wait to tweet those out. Uh, if you get when you go to checkout, go Fungo Banter ten for ten percent off Fungo. And thank you to Safeguard out of the Tri Cities for all the Fungo Banter gear, guys. Thank you to Coach Richards. Until next week, take care of one another. Hey, we're pretty close. Let's get back to some baseball here. Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner is part of the Big Country Media Podcast Network. Check out all episodes anywhere you can get your podcast. And for you iTunes listeners, please get on and give us a rate and review. 
Keep up to date with us on Facebook at Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter and on Twitter at Fungo Banter PNW. Fungo Banter Podcast is powered by Devo Bats, the official bat and fungo of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter Podcast. Go check them out on all social media platforms and at devobats.com. Fungo Banner is also powered by Safeguard out of the Tri-City. We are proud to have them on board with us making the Fungo Banner gear. Guys, local company out of the Tri-Cities, please go online, check them out, trysafeguard.com for all your printing and advertising needs.